Good morning. Thankful to see everyone here this morning. Always a pleasure to to meet together with you all and to worship and to look into the Lord's Word together. Uh, For those who are not here with us for Bible study this morning, we talked a little bit about uh, just understanding and seeing how Jesus' ministry was characterized by a, a compassion for the people to whom he was ministering and a a reach that was expansive to all groups and classes of people, to all of the people in the communities in which he ministered. And we talked about how that should also characterize our approach to ministry and to life as Christians, that we don't have a ministry that is limited in scope to people who are like us or limited in scope to those who provide some evidence that gives us reason to hope that God has worked in or moved among them. But as Jesus went forth preaching and ministering and healing the sick and the lame and doing great works in the society in which he lived, we're to live our lives in Christ as Christians in our communities, and we're to be marked with a love, a compassion, and an, a, and uh, a heart that extends ourselves toward all, because we don't know whom God may move upon and may work in, and that compassion is generated by our own understanding of our own inadequacy, of our own lack of desert for what we've received from Christ. That we are, as the Apostle Paul said, the chiefest of sinners who deserve nothing. And if God would work in us, why would we think he might not work in anyone else? So there's no prejudice, there's no reservation about reaching out to all peoples in the name of Jesus Christ and with the influence of the gospel. I want to continue those thoughts in a way this morning. I want to turn with you to the book of Matthew chapter 9, continuing from last month's theme of looking at the gospel account of Jesus' ministry and what lessons we can learn from it. So the book of Matthew is is typically uh, thought of as a as a gospel that contains a great deal of Jesus' actual teaching, from the ext- expansive record of the Sermon on the Mount to the various chronology of his ministry that's given. But the book of Matthew is is generally extended teaching that takes up an entire chapter or multiple chapters from individual lessons that Jesus taught in his ministry. Whereas the book of Mark is is much more concise. The book of Mark just goes through the ministry, the acts, the works of Jesus. But this chapter of Matthew kind of follows that same pattern as Mark does. We don't know if this is a day in the life of Jesus Christ that we're going to be reading or if this is a period of several weeks, but this is typical of what happened in Jesus' ministry. It shows us a lot of what Jesus was doing and what Jesus was teaching. The other important thing for us to remember about the Gospels when we start looking at comparison of the Gospels in parallel, the Gospel of Matthew, of Mark, and of Luke, is that we'll read some of the same teaching and if we get caught up in chronology, we'll say, well, wait a second, in in the book of Mark, this happened at this time, but in the book of Matthew, it shows that it happened at an earlier time and we might get confused and begin to question the veracity. Some critics have questioned the truth of the Gospels because things don't always line up. But as a preacher of the gospel, it gives me encouragement to realize that as Jesus was going and preaching in city after city and place after place for three and a half years, Jesus taught the same things from one place 
to another place. And sometimes we forget that. We get the idea that, you know, if, if you're in a church and you've got a pastor or a preacher who's coming and preaching, I'm going to teach it one time and you're going to get it and we're going to move on. Well, no, the fact is that Jesus not only went from place to place and taught the same things from one city to another city, he also had this group of disciples that were following along with him, and they were going from place to place with him, hearing the same message over and over and over again. And they were benefited by it. As a matter of fact, if we understand that these are accurate accounts and the chronology of these gospel accounts are true, then on the second or third time Jesus taught a particular lesson, some of these very apostles said, Lord, what does this even mean? And maybe he's already explained it before. So don't feel bad if you're hearing something for the second or third time and you still have questions. The apostles did too. As a matter of fact, most of what Jesus taught, they had no idea what it meant until after he was dead, buried, and resurrected. Then they realized, oh, he meant what he said. When he said he was going to die and be raised again, that wasn't allegory. That was literal. And when he talked about salvation, when he talked about sacrifice, when he talked about atonement, he meant his body, his blood. And they began to understand him. So I want to start in verse 14 of chapter 9, and then the Lord willing will deal with chapter 9 in part 1, and chapter 10 will be the close of the message this morning, but it's connected thoughts. This is just a reading of Jesus' ministry. Verse 14, Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast oft, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. No man putteth a piece of new cloth unto, unto an old garment, for that which is put in to fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break, and the new wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine into new bottles, and both are preserved." Again, we're just reading through this chronology. There's at least a week of sermons in that one text. I would love to expand on that, and Lord willing, maybe in the future we will. But Jesus delivers that that parable, that message. And while he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole. The other two accounts say, He first said, Who touched me? calling attention to her, and she was made known. And then Jesus declares her healing. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose. And the fame hereof went abroad into all that land. And when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. 
And when he was coming to the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus saith unto them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said unto him, Yea, Lord. Then touched he their eyes, saying, According to your faith be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame in all that country. As they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. And the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils through the prince of devils. And Jesus went out, went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I believe the Lord gave us this account in this ninth chapter just to give us a picture of what one day of Jesus Christ's ministry looked like and then string that together over three years of ministry. Jesus Christ was busy serving the people, preaching his word, but being interrupted constantly with needs. Just look at this. The disciples of John, some beloved friends of the Lord, I mean, they're the servants, the disciples of John the Baptist, to whom Jesus went at the outset of his ministry, they came to him with a question. And in another chapter, they're going to come with another question on behalf of John. But here they came with a question, and the question was this. Why is it that we fast often, and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples, they're not engaged in fasting, at least not in a public way. And they're not engaged in these practices that we're engaged in. Are we better than them? Are they better than us? What's the reason for it? So Jesus begins a lesson on the subject. And the lesson is this. I am with them. I am here. I'm taking care of their needs. I'm providing the answers their questions. I'm providing guidance daily. And they have no reason to be fasting. They have no reason to be mourning. They have no reason to be earnestly seeking direction from any other source. They have daily interaction with me. And Jesus teaches a lot here in this parable about the need to understand what the new covenant means for the people of God. Things are changed from this day forward. And it also highlights how John the Baptist and his ministry was transitional. The law and the prophets were until John. And some of the practices of the Old Testament continued into the ministry of John. The law and the prophets were until John, but since that time, the gospel is preached. The kingdom of heaven was at hand. And things are changing. And we don't need to take that old and import it into the new because it's not going to fit. Why? Because the Old Testament was about external requirements. 
The New Testament is about something internal. The law of God being written in the hearts. And the behavior is not that drastically different. Is there fasting in the New Testament church? Absolutely. But it's not compulsory fasting. It's not something imposed from the outside. It's something generated from within. A desire to serve God. To honor Him. And it's something that is manifest in the lives of those who draw near to Him. So Jesus is delivering this important message and he's got a lot to say on the subject. But as he was speaking, while he spake these things unto them, a ruler came to him with a problem. A certain ruler came and worshipped him, bowed down before him and said, My daughter is dead, but if you'll come and lay your hand on her, she'll live. Matthew's account is full of these expressions of faith from the strangest places. Absolute trust in Christ by those who desperately need Him. Last month we talked about some of those individuals. Some who weren't even of the household of Israel. Who who said, Lord, I believe. I need You. Have mercy upon me. And Jesus said, I haven't seen such great faith. No, not in Israel. Well, here is a ruler who comes to Him and interrupts His teaching. You know, the disciples were always quick to say, Lord, send her away. Lord, send him away. Lord, we don't have time for this. This man barges in, in the middle of the Lord's preaching. And what does the Lord do? Does he rebuke the man? No. What does he do? He goes with him. While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter's even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him. And the disciples, they followed along. They're observing all of this. They're with him day in, day out. They see all the things that he says and does. So he's on his way to this place of mourning, this place where this dead child is is laying in a bed. And as Jesus journeys that way, a woman comes and she grabs a hold of his garment A woman who's sick, a woman who's diseased, a woman who's been bleeding for years, who's been to all the doctors, who's been to all of the priests, who's been everywhere seeking healing. She's unclean. She's not fit to worship God in the public worship. She's not fit to be around anyone because of the strictures of the law. She's certainly not fit to be touching a rabbi as Jesus is understood to be. She lays hold of the hem of his garment because she believed. If I just touch him, if I just touch his clothing, then maybe I too can be healed. His word had gone out. People knew of his healing power. She thought discreetly she could touch him and be healed. This woman obviously wanted no attention drawn to herself, wanted no danger of being rejected as one who was unclean, no danger of being rejected as one who was unworthy. But she thought he's so powerful, if I just touch his garment, then maybe I too can be healed. But Jesus doesn't let it stand. Jesus turns about instantly, says, who touched me? And this trembling woman, no doubt afraid, sees the eyes of the Savior and knows that she's found out. And then Jesus said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. 
And it was true. The woman was made whole from that hour. Jesus is constantly approached, constantly assaulted, constantly uh, uh, approached by those who are who are in need and those who are despised by the rulers of their society. And Jesus continued on his way, he came to the ruler's house, and there was public mourning going on. The minstrels were there playing whatever music they played to, to celebrate or to mourn the dead. And the multitude was gathered to mourn with this family, an important family. This was a ruler after all. And Jesus said to them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. The way Jesus approaches this, like he did the grave of Lazarus, just shows how contrary the message that Jesus proclaimed was to human understanding, to everything they thought that they knew. Jesus didn't come and say, I'm going to raise this child from the dead. He didn't say, the maid's dead, but we're going to do something about that. He said, give place, the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. This wasn't the first time they laughed at Jesus. A lot of what Jesus taught was laughable to the multitudes. A lot of what he's given us to teach is laughable in our society. Don't be ashamed when you speak the truth. Jesus came to this dead maid, said, Give place, the maid's not dead, but sleepeth, and they laughed him to scorn. Jesus was fond of expressing death as sleep. Remember when word came, Lazarus is sick. Jesus lingered for days without going to his bedside. And then, as Jesus journeys toward Bethany, he says to his disciples, Lazarus sleepeth. They say, oh, well, if he sleeps, he does well. Sleep is good for a sick person. Jesus says, no, Lazarus is dead, but continues on his journey. Here he says, the maid's not dead, but sleepeth, and they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose, and the fame hereof went abroad into all that land. Everybody was astounded, and they went and told. He raises the dead. But Jesus doesn't stay there and bask in the glory of this this wonderful work. No, he goes on his way. When he departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying, saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. You know, Jesus didn't go anywhere without people crying after him without people bothering him. The account of, of the, the message he delivered from, from the seashore. They came to the sea and they surrounded him so much that Jesus said, get a boat. And he got on a boat and he taught from the boat. And then he crossed over the sea. Why? To get some rest. Because he was constantly being approached. And these blind men came crying out, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. When he was coming to the house, they came to him. Jesus didn't stop for him. They followed him. They followed him. He went into a house. They came into the house. And then and only then, 
Jesus said to them, Believe ye that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yea, Lord. And then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it unto you. And their eyes were opened. Jesus straightly charged them, saying, See that no man know it. But they, when they were departed, spread abroad his fame to all the country. Jesus tells these blind men, Don't tell anybody what happened to you. He tells the lepers when he heals the lepers, go to the priest, but tell no man. Don't tell anybody. And what did they do? They all went and told. And the fame of Jesus grows more and more as they went out. Again, one right on the heels of the other. As the blind men went out, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake. And the multitudes marveled, saying it was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casteth out devils through the prince of devils. Always detractors. Jesus is surrounded by adoring fans, by people who believe in Him, by people who love Him, by people who trust Him. And He's surrounded by haters, by enemies, who say He's just out for attention. Everything He does, He does by the power of Satan because He's no man of God. You remember in John chapter 9 when he healed the blind man and the blind man is called before the council and, and they're, they're grilling him about how he was made to see and he says, all I know is this man named Jesus. He put, uh, he's, he put mud on my eyes and he sent me to wash in the pool of Siloam and I came away seeing. I did what he said and I see. They say, this man is not of God. He says, whether he be a prophet, I know not. All I know is I was blind and now I see. And always these detractors. He casteth out devils through the prince of devils. Verse 35, Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. The point is, this is one day's accounting. But this was every day. Jesus went into every city, every village, teaching in every synagogue and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And doing all of this, we read in verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. The love of Jesus Christ for his people is boundless. And as Jesus came physically into the world and ministered, he wasn't turning people away. No matter the hour, no matter the labor, when the sick came in faith, they were healed. When men came saying, my daughter is dead, he raised her. And when people who knew not the gospel were there, he preached. And he did this in all of the cities. He did this in all of the villages, no matter how large, no matter how small. 
And some places his word was received and other places his word was rejected. You remember when he preached in his own hometown of Nazareth, they tried to throw him off a cliff. They rejected the word out of hand. They wanted only the miracles. How come the works that you did in Capernaum you're not doing here in our midst? They didn't like the message he presented. They wanted him dead. The Pharisees were always there saying, he's a charlatan. He casts out devils through the prince of devils. But Jesus looked and he saw the multitudes and he was moved with compassion. And the reality is the need was greater than could be born. The need for ministry, the need for preaching, the need for teaching, the need for healing, the need for the works of the Son of God were greater than one man could do. And Jesus saw a multitude. A multitude of believers. A multitude of unbelievers. A multitude of people who had a common need. But specifically, he was moved with compassion on those who fainted and were scattered as sheep having no shepherd. Why? Because Jesus, as he says in John's gospel, is the great shepherd of the sheep. And the sheep need a shepherd. And Jesus came in fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy as a good shepherd to replace those bad shepherds. Those shepherds who fed themselves instead of the flock. In fact, they slaughtered the sheep and fed themselves on the flock. And God said, I will be a shepherd to you. I will be your shepherd. And Jesus came as a shepherd, but he was moved with compassion because they fainted, were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. And then he turned and said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous but the laborers are few. In another place, he said, the fields are white unto harvest. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. What is the answer? When the fields are white, when it's time to harvest, the answer is to get busy harvesting. The answer is to desire laborers to do the work. And here Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, the great high priest, the great teacher, the rabbi, the master, the Lord, says, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest. He will send forth laborers into his harvest. The answer then and the answer now is to pray that God will send forth laborers. And the motivation for this prayer is compassion. It's realizing the need and caring for the need and praying that God will send forth laborers into his harvest recognizing the harvest is the Lord's. The sheep are the Lord's. They belong to him. And then Jesus takes action. When he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And here we have the list of the 12 apostles. 
Simon, who's called Peter, Andrew his brother, James and John his brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, Lebius, or Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them. The command was specific. Don't go to the Gentiles yet. Don't go to the Samaritans. Jesus has already had ministry among some of the Gentiles, and he will again. Jesus is one who went to the Samaritans. But he says to his disciples, don't go outside of the house of Israel. Go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Don't prepare for your journey with gold or silver or brass in your purses. Don't take any script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes nor staves. For the workman is worthy of his meat. Go everywhere and preach. And as you go, preach. And as you go, heal. And as you go, do what you've seen me do. And do it trusting the Lord to provide for your going. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when ye come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return unto you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable in the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city." Jesus says you're not always going to be welcomed. You're not always going to be received. Don't think because you come with a precious, precious treasure that it's going to be desired by everyone you meet. The reality is many will turn you aside. And when they do, you see the gospel is a savor of life unto life and a savor of death unto death. When you come into a city, when you come into a house, if they receive you, you dwell there and you minister the word there and you do the work there. But if they reject you, they're rejecting me. And if they reject me, you shake the dust off of your feet against them. You get out of there. Freely have I given to you, freely give to them. But if they don't receive it, don't waste your time and don't waste time casting your pearls before swine. Shake the dust off of your feet. I'm telling you the truth. It'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Why is that? Well, Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't given the gospel. Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't given the word of God and the command to repent. Sodom and Gomorrah was a place of wickedness, but the wickedness of those who reject the gospel is not comparable to theirs. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Understand where you're going. It's your own society. It's your own people. It's your own culture. But you're not the same as them. You're sheep 
and you're going out in the midst of wolves. Why are you going? You're going because of compassion, compassion for the sheep who are without a shepherd. But wolves are going to abide there and they're going to attack you. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in the same hour what ye shall speak. For it's not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, And the father, the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. These are some of the most shocking words to be found in the scripture. And it's terrifying to think about because this is the calling. This is the calling of the ministry. This is the calling of the Christian in an unfriendly world. The encouragement is this. Jesus knew what he was doing. He said, it's going to be hard. Your enemies are going to be they of your own household, of your own family. Children will deliver up their parents and cause them to be put to death. Brothers and sisters will turn upon one another. You're going to be hated of all men. For my name's sake. But with that there will be salvation. He that endureth to the end shall be saved. When they persecute you in this city. Flee ye into another. You're going to go preach. You're going to do miracles. Whatever I've given you you're going to give to them. And the vast majority are going to hate you. And they're going to persecute you. And when you're persecuted, don't be silent. Don't shrivel up and fly under the radar and hide. When they persecute you, flee. Flee to the next city and there do the same things. Ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. The disciple is not above his master nor the servant above his Lord. It's enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have caused the master of the house, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there's nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear, preach upon the housetops. The answer to the persecution, the answer to the enemy, the answer to the roaring lion out there in the streets is to stand on the housetops and declare the truth. What Jesus is saying is, my ministry daily has been going into every city and preaching the gospel and performing miraculous works of healing and deliverance and raising the dead. And he says, I'm sending you forth. Why? Because what I've spoken is as it were in darkness. It's had little impact. It's only touched a portion of the people. But I've told you these things and you declare them from the housetops. You magnify my word. 
And that's what we're called to do is to magnify his word. Not to speak our own ideas, to speak his word, to declare his truth. And as it's touched us, it's to touch others through us. And that's the declaration to these 12 and later to the 70 and then to every age in the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, the answer is, don't be afraid. There's nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be made known. What I've told you, what I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. What ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Such a contrast that's given here. He says, don't be afraid of physical torment. Don't be afraid of those who can kill you. Don't be afraid of those who can put you in prison. Because there's a greater one whose fear compels your service, whose fear compels your love. Fear the one that's able to destroy body and soul in hell. The one who has called you. The one who has saved you. And the one who's sending you forth. He then reassures them of the Father's love. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your Father? The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore. You're of more value than many sparrows. He says, you belong to me. Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Jesus here combats an essential misunderstanding of his ministry. The disciples time and again thought Jesus had come to gather Israel together to follow him as their earthly king. And they didn't understand why everything he did seemed to work against this goal. He'd go into a city, he'd perform miracles, he'd get the people's attention, he'd preach, and the leaders of the city would be turned against him instantly. Jesus was not a good politician. Some might argue there are no good politicians. Politics is a dirty, dirty business. And Jesus wasn't here to win friends and influence people by the world's standards. But the influence that Jesus has in the lives of his people is real. It's authentic. Jesus says, I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his uh, variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it couple of things to note here. He says, I'm not come to send peace on earth, but a sword. Division. Warfare. 
The message that we carry is a message that causes conflict, inevitably. It causes conflict within the very heart of the individuals who who it touches. You know that. If you've been touched by the Spirit of God, if His Word has, has reached you in your heart... It's created a conflict between the old and the new, between the the passions of the mind and the Spirit of God working in your heart. And that conflict Paul describes in Romans 7, it is real in you. And that's the conflict you're introducing to the lives of everyone that you touch with the gospel. It's a sword. And that internal conflict as, as the Holy Spirit takes control and as the truth of God spills out of the lives of those conformed by it, it creates conflict with family members, with closest relationships. Because as much as when you would do good, evil is present with you, if your closest friends and family are in darkness and are themselves evil, They will war against every good that you desire. And this was the reality. Jesus says, I know what I'm doing. It's no surprise when conflict abounds. It's no surprise when the enemy wars against truth. And I'm sending you into this world. And I'm sending you like sheep in the midst of wolves. But I'm promising you this. He that findeth his life shall lose it. But he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. And what you find is greater than anything you may lose. Later on he's going to tell him a parable about a pearl of great price. That a man finds in a field and he knows it's there. And he sells everything he has to buy that field. So that he can lay hold on that pearl. And he says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. It's trading everything that you used to value to attain something that is invaluable. He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. This is only true if they go forth as Jesus Christ. If they go forth teaching the things that he taught, doing the things that he did, speaking the things that he spoke, like we talked about earlier today, if they go forth with his love, with his compassion, with his desire for the souls of those to whom they minister, not to set themselves up as something special and not to despise the weak or the sinful, but to show forth the love of God, to speak His truth and love. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. Jesus says, I'm sending you forth to do the work that I am doing. And this is one of the most clear expressions of what we later understand from Paul's writing to be our ambassadorship in the house of God. Jesus Christ, while he's yet alive, while he's yet ministering, sends forth his disciples. 
He says, you go. And as you go, you preach. And as you go, you use the powers that I've given you to minister of my spirit. And you won't have gone over all the cities until the Son of Man be come. The work is not a completed work. It wasn't completed in Judea in the day of Jesus Christ, and it's a work that hasn't been completed today. It's a work that is perpetuated in and through the church. After he traveled to Jerusalem, there suffered, died, was buried, and rose again. He revealed himself to his disciples. He ministered to them for a period of time. And then in the region of Galilee in chapter 28, the 11 disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Jesus commended his ministry to the church in his absence to go to all the world, to speak the things that he spoke, to do the things that he did. Sadly, many in the churches of Jesus Christ in the centuries from that day to this have done much to preserve and promote the Word of God have done much to preserve the ordinances, the structure of the New Testament church, have done much to codify and clarify the system of theology that is taught by the Lord Jesus Christ and in His Word, but too often have failed of the compassion that is expressed in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And we see that in our own lives as we seek to establish our identity, our authority, our name as a church of Jesus Christ. As we seek to combat the enemies in our society and forget who the true enemy is. And we struggle with the commands of the gospel. Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to them that hate you and despitefully use you. Jesus combated his own disciples who said, Lord, it's not good for you to go and to suffer and to die. He said, get behind me, Satan. He combated his own disciples when they said, Lord, send her away. When they said, the master's too busy. And Jesus intervened and said, no, I'm not too busy for one of mine. We like to control our environment. We like to ensure that we know the outcome before we begin the process 
we encounter those in our life from time to time who we know know not the gospel. And we kind of evaluate them. We step back and we say, well, what evidence do I have that that if I, I talk about Jesus, they're going to even listen? What evidence do I have that maybe they're born again, that maybe God has worked in their heart? Or we look around and we say, well, I don't want to talk here because somebody else might hear me. Somebody else might gang up on me. I don't want to take on a mob of unbelievers. You know, maybe you've been a student in a classroom and the professor has asked questions to challenge your faith in Jesus Christ and you're afraid to give a true answer because he might make you a mockery in a classroom or you'll get a bad grade on a test. The challenges are real and they've crept into every aspect of life today. In the workplace, when you're asked to speak against the truth to preserve your position or your job. That was unthinkable a few years ago. It's a reality today. So what do you do? Jesus' word is clear. You speak the truth. You care more for the people to whom you will be ministering than you do for the consequence of your words or your behavior. And yet you do it in a way, as Jesus did, that exudes a love and compassion for the people. Jesus came into the villages and what did he do? He received the people that came to him and he healed them. He ministered to them. He did what he could for them. And the ministry of the word is not to be absent works of kindness and of compassion and of love. Those who are in need of help, what do we as Christians do? We help them. And it's not a, it's not a transactional relationship. We don't help them so that they'll fill our pews in the church or so that they'll give a response to the gospel. We help because help is needed. We minister because the word is needed. Jesus went about daily healing the sick, casting out devils, raising the dead, doing all of these miraculous works and preaching the gospel throughout. And yet at the end of his ministry, we have no evidence that more than 120 souls were aligned with his church and following him. There were probably more. But there were not the thousands that were touched by his ministry. The thousands that were healed and were ministered to. And Jesus does not express discontent at this reality. For him it wasn't transactional either. Finally in chapter 11, it came to pass when Jesus made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. What Jesus do? He sent forth twelve to do the work and then he went right back to the grind, right back to the work. He went to teach and preach in their cities. And the word spread. Now when John had heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. So we started with John's disciples coming to Jesus saying, why do we fast and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples don't fast? Jesus said, because I'm here. The bridegroom's here. 
and the work of Christ spreads and the disciples go out. And Jesus goes out and begins to teach again all of the cities. And John, sitting in prison, no doubt discouraged, no doubt unsure, questioning lots of things, sent two disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Why the doubt? Why the doubt? Well, because Jesus is being spoken against by all the ones who should have seen him, known him, received him. And John's sitting in prison. And his disciples are concerned. After all, Jesus' disciples aren't behaving the way that they did. Are you the one that should come or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Go show John again those things which ye do hear and see. And what are those things? Well, this goes back to chapter 9. What things do you hear and see? It's happening everywhere Jesus is. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, deaf hear, dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. So we've seen Jesus preaching his gospel. We've seen him be interrupted in the very act of preaching to go and heal the sick or raise the dead. We've seen him doing great works. We've seen his compassion that compelled him to send others to expand the reach of the ministry. And the word gets out. And John says, are you the one that should come or do we look for another? And Jesus says, what more do you need to see? Not only are these physical helps, these miraculous acts of God being done by me. But the poor, the despised, the downcast, they have the gospel preached unto them. And the ones who are not offended are blessed. And that's still true today. The purpose of the assembly of the saints, the purpose of the church of Jesus Christ is to aid in the sanctification of each of its members that together we may proclaim, we may declare, we may make known the word of Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, the power of Jesus Christ, that we may be lights in this world shining forth, magnifying the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone who is not offended in Jesus Christ, everyone who receives that word, embraces that word, is transformed by that word, is blessed. Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. The word of Jesus Christ brings conflict. It brings internal conflict. It brings external conflict. It changes lives. And change is always resisted. But if we lay hold of His truth and seek to apply it in our lives every day and live in that truth in a way that is evident and manifest, 
and we're not ashamed, then that, that will magnify Jesus Christ. And that conflict will pale in comparison to the blessing that is seen and known in it. I have a co-worker who inadvertently made known that he was a Christian and he acted like he was ashamed of it. And I approached him about a week later and I said, Hey, uh, I heard you say that you couldn't do something because you had to be at your church and you were a Christian. Would you mind talking to me about that? And he said, No, no, sir, I, I don't I don't I don't make that public. I don't I don't talk to people about that. My religion's private. I said, Well, it's not so private that you can't take off a day to to participate in, in worship. What what's private about it? Well, I just don't believe that we should push our religion on other people. I said, Well, you're not pushing it on me. I'm asking about it. Well, well, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ and he's my savior. I said, I'm glad. Me too. Can we talk about the Lord together? Uh, no, no, sir. No, sir. I, I don't, I don't think that's right. And he walked away. Well, I don't say that to criticize or to condemn that individual, but I say it because it disturbed me. But it made me wonder how free do we all feel to declare the truth and to live our lives in Christ openly, publicly, unashamedly? That's what we're called to do. And it's motivated by a compassion and a care for others that's greater than our care for ourselves or self-preservation. We need to be willing to speak the truth because there may be some who have not heard, who have not obeyed. The world's full of them. And what they need to see in us is the same, the same love, the same compassion, the same hope, the same confidence that they saw in Jesus Christ as he went into every city and he healed all those who came to him and he preached the gospel to all men. Thank you for your time and your prayer and your attention today. I pray the Lord would convict us all that we might live our lives in accordance with his command and that we might magnify him in a, in a greater way in our daily lives. Thank you.